doing this three days in a row, folks. So I'm uh, glad that you came on this day to celebrate, especially if you're new with us. Really glad that you're here. Uh, welcome to you if you're watching online. Great to have the kids in with us. And look, if you have never been to church before or it's just been a long time since you've been, I want you to feel comfortable, relax, because we don't want anything from you. We want something for you. So how many of you are looking forward to Christmas? Let me hear. How many are looking forward to it? All right, most everybody, but truthfully, there may be some who are not. It's a tough time of year for some, it's a time of uh, sadness and grief and distress, maybe because you've lost a loved one, or a loved one is just not going to be at home this year, and so you're singing the old Elvis song, I'll have a blue Christmas without you. But you know, Christmas would really be blue if one person in particular hadn't shown up, and that's Jesus. I mean, that's what it's all about, whether you make a big deal out of Christmas Day itself or not who you may have or not have around you. The important thing is not the date on the calendar, but the significance of the event, because it means that God came to be with us, to become one of us, not just on one day a year or once a week, but all the time. And we see that Jesus was really more than just another man. He was more than a person. I mean, Christmas would really be blue without him, because this is not just a, a great thinker or a great teacher or a prophet. This is God himself in the flesh. And that's what we've been laying out the evidence for. We've been examining it over these past few weeks. And if you want to go back and hear those, you can listen to the podcast or watch it online. But the point is, God is with us now because of Jesus. He is here. He is near. Because Jesus was born, we have God always with us and it really would be a blue Christmas if that weren't true. So I hope you will agree with the verdict this week. Now let's celebrate that God came to be with us to save us. That's why he's with us, to save us. That's what the Christmas story is about and if you're familiar with how the angel went to Joseph and talked to him about this woman, Mary, that he was about to take as his wife in Matthew chapter 1 verses 21 through 23. In fact, everybody else together will read this out loud. Here we go. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So the question is, is he really the son of God? Does Jesus fulfill the attributes of God. Because if he doesn't, then Christmas really would be blue. There is no reason to have the name of Christ in it because it has no meaning. So, you know, when detectives are investigating a case, they will often bring in a profiler, right? Forensic artists who will try and figure out the profile of the person they're seeking. What person fits this profile? And so, if we were doing this with God, like, is Jesus God in the flesh, then does he fit the profile. I mean, you've seen those profilers in movies and TV shows, but we got we to look here to see, all right, we're going to play profiler. What would we expect God to be like? Well, first of all, we would expect him to be divine, right? I mean, God is spirit, and Jesus is flesh. I mean, he's a human. So right off the bat, we got a problem, right? How can Jesus be God if he's human? Well, you know, some superheroes are half human, half something else, right? Like Aquaman. He's half human and he's half Atlantean, which means that he can live underwater or on land. Or you maybe take Star-Lord from Guardians of the Galaxy, right? You remember he had a human mother, 
but his father was a godlike celestial. So he had some amazing powers, but that's nothing new. We go all the way back to ancient Greek and Roman mythology, and you hear stories of like Hercules, right? His, his mother was Alcmene, and she was a human, but his father was the god Zeus. And so Hercules had this amazing strength and courageously went on all these amazing adventures, and he slayed the nine-headed Hydra monster. Same thing with Perseus. Perseus's mother was Danae, but his father was also Zeus, because, you know, Zeus... Zeus uh, made his way around in those times and had a lot of these kinds of half-human, half-god-like children. Perseus did these incredible things too, right? He, he slayed Medusa and, and the, the sea monster. So these great half-human, half-god heroes were called demigods. Demigods, half and half. So that's what some people think the story of Jesus is about. Like, oh, that's just another one of those like ancient myths. Jesus is like half human, half God. That's why he did all those amazing miracles. He's like a demigod. But you know, that's, that's not what the Bible teaches at all. That is not what Christians believe. All those Greek gods, you know, they were very different from Jesus. All those, their half human offspring were, were just as messed up as those Greek gods because they were just as sinful and sensual as the humans were. Again, lots of stories of Zeus and his many liaisons, and every one of his kids was like messed up, which is very different from Jesus. Uh, Jesus is not just a myth. Nobody takes those myths seriously. Any serious person knows that Jesus was real. We have plenty of evidence, eyewitness testimony, not only in Scripture, but we've got Roman historians, we've got Jewish historians, and yet some still try to say, well, he was real, but all the stuff about him being God, no, I, we can't swallow that. For example, someone as prominent as Thomas Jefferson wrote a letter in 1823 to John Adams and compared the story of Jesus to the Roman myth of the god Jupiter, who was also known by Zeus, and another child. This one, Minerva, sprang from his head. Right? And Jefferson was saying, well, there'll be come a day when we won't believe those kinds of fables anymore. So rationalist, secularist like that, like Jefferson, he loved Jesus' teaching, he loved his morality, but he just couldn't bring himself to believe that Jesus was God. They, they, they stop at the virgin birth and the miracles and the resurrection. And maybe you're struggling with that kind of belief too. You know, Muslims struggle with that belief. They, they revere Jesus as a great prophet, but they can't believe that he's the son of God. I spent time over the last year reading through their holy book, the Quran, and it speaks many times about Jesus in a very elevated way. And yet, there's a profound misunderstanding. I mean, it talks about his virgin birth right there in the Quran. But they can't believe that he's God because their founder, Muhammad, said, far be it from God to become human. And he had this impression that God, like one of the Greek gods, had relations with Mary and produced Jesus. And he said, no, 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 that can't be. But of course, that's not what Christianity teaches at all. That's what mythology teaches. Or skeptics may also point to the story of the Hindu god Krishna, who is said to be born of a virgin. And they say, well, see, this is just another one of those kinds of stories. Well, folks, I, I spent the last year also reading through the Bhagavad, I always say it wrong, Bhagavad Gita. Thank you. Somebody help me out there. Which is the most famous Hindu holy book. And I never saw anything in there about a virgin birth, and it's not in any of the other Hindu texts either. Uh, that's just one of those stories that grew up over time. Um, in fact, we find out that Krishna's mother was said to have been married and had seven children, so not a virgin, okay? 
Or some armchair internet philosopher will point to some mystery religions and say, well, the story of Jesus was just based on mystery religions, like the cult god Mithras. Mithras was said to have been born in a cave from a virgin on December 25. Aha, so see, Jesus' story is just a copy of that. But guess what? There's never any claim made about Mithras being born on December 25th in a cave. That was made up after Christianity. So who borrowed from whom? It's just another one of those fake news kinds of stories. In fact, the actual story of Mithras is more likely that he was born from a rock, came out of a rock already as a youth holding a dagger. So very different than the story of Jesus. And by the way, we know the Bible doesn't even teach that Jesus was born on December 25th in a cave. All right, so no, we hear of all those supposed virgin birth stories and we, we get very troubled and think, oh no, we're just believing something that's, that's based on myth. But no, dig deeper into the facts, into the evidence, cross-examine, and you begin to see that all of those other stories are based on exaggeration and fabrication, but Jesus' story is the real deal. All these other stories are no more than like another Star Wars story, right? Like, you know, Anakin Skywalker, young Darth Vader, you remember this? He has a human mother, but he has no human father. That somehow the Force put midichlorians into his mother and the chosen one is born, right? It's like, wow, that made me think they borrowed a lot off the Christmas story, don't you think? In fact, so a lot of people view Star Wars as like, it, it's their religion, they're serious. So I'm wondering like, one day are people gonna really believe the mythology of Star Wars? Because you know, if you saw the new movie, did you see it at the end where they went to, never, no, I didn't, no, I didn't see it, don't. And if you saw it, shut up, don't wanna hear it. No spoilers today, no. All right, but the point is, there's a lot of fakes out there. Be cautious, look out for the fakes like Buddy the Elf did. on a throne of lies. They're all fakes except for Jesus. He is the real deal. And think about this. This is, would just be unbelievable for the story of Jesus to arise out of all religions, Judaism, right, which believes in the one true God, this monotheistic faith, to say that it copycatted pagan polytheistic poems and said that's where they got their beliefs about Jesus. No, what would cause all these monotheistic Jewish people to begin worshiping Jesus as God? Because they saw the evidence that Jesus was not just like this half-human, half-God kind of thing. He was fully human and fully God. That's what the word incarnation means, is that God as spirit took on flesh, became fully human, but at the same time, fully God. Now, exactly how that worked, we're not really clear on how the Holy Spirit was able to conceive the Son of God in the womb of Mary. But Scripture teaches that he's 100% human, 100% God. I know that's not good math, but you would expect it to be. Another thing you would expect is that God would be beyond our understanding, right? That there would be some mystery to him. Because if you could figure God out completely, he wouldn't be too much of a God, right? He could, you could contain God inside your limited, finite mind. But he's beyond that. So when all these fictitious stories have these demigods, they always have a beginning, right? They were created, but not Jesus. Jesus is the creator, not the creature. He has always eternally existed as God before he was ever in the womb of Mary. So there's no other story like that that matches that distinction. The question is, can you prove it? Can you prove it? Well, not in the way you can in a courtroom, with other kinds of evidence, like we can, we can talk about it that way of the resurrection because you've got eyewitness testimony, you've got the empty tomb, all of that, but 
how do you prove the virgin birth? Well, we can't in that way, but we can ask, all right, well, is it possible? Is it possible? Well, if you believe there's a God, then of course it's possible. God can do anything. But if you've already predecided that there cannot be such a being as God, then you already have a built-in bias against anything supernatural occurring. But if God created the universe, then it's no problem for him to miraculously create a Y chromosome to mingle with the X chromosome of Mary. You know, not, not a problem at all. Then we ask, all right, well, does the virgin birth make sense? Is it compatible with reality? Is it, does it make any kind of human sense at all? Is it reasonable to believe? And there might have been a time where we say, no, there's nothing like that. But you know what? Now we have so many technologies available through fertilization and surrogacy that it's, you could have virgin births all the time, right? I mean, who would have thought that that was possible that many years ago? And yet we're not really talking about a virgin birth, are we? We're talking about a virgin conception. And that's never been done. That is supernaturally unique. And people have been pondering the mystery of that now for 2,000 years. Here's how it reads in Luke chapter 1. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Well, how will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. And the angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Now, does Jesus fit the profile of the Son of God? Well, first, we would expect the Son of God to be perfect, right? We, we would expect him to be sinless. And sure enough, Jesus lived a sinless life. That is affirmed. Jesus said, whoever of you can convict me of sin. And nobody could accuse him of anything wrong. In fact, the ones closest to him, his disciples who spent day and night with him for three years, all testified he is sinless. And then we see Jesus maintaining the attributes of God. Not only is he perfect and holy and righteous, but he's what you would expect God to be. He's wise. He's just. He's loving, he's compassionate, he's caring, he's kind. It's also clear that Jesus did make the claim to be God. Nobody else ever made that kind of claim. He said he's more than a good teacher, he's more than another leader. His deity wasn't something invented centuries later, but the people around him knew that he said, I'm God, because he said, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. And if you really knew me, you would know the Father. I and the Father are one. Before Abraham was, I am, which is God's special unique name. I am that I am. And we know that people believe that he, he claimed to be God because that's what got him crucified. All these Jewish leaders who said, anybody who claimed, a mere human claiming to be God ought to be put to death. And that's what happened because they knew that he claimed to be God. See, God's prophets, the humans we're very careful to say, look, I'm not speaking my own words. I'm, this is what the Lord says. But Jesus comes along and he says, you've heard it said, but I say to you. Jesus didn't speak for God. He spoke as God. In fact, this is what he claims in John chapter 8. I am from above. You are from the world. I'm not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins. If you do not believe that I am he, you will indeed die in your sins. Now, who else can claim to forgive sins but God? 
And Jesus claimed to be able to forgive sins. I mean, and not only does he make that claim, but he backs it up by performing miracles. Jesus was able to perform miracles to say, look, you don't have to believe what I'm saying. If you don't believe my words, at least believe my works. Look at these miracles. And then the greatest miracle of all is that Jesus rose from the dead. The resurrection is the evidence that he is who he said he was. In fact, it was so convincing that his own brother, the guy that he grew up with, his half-brother James, who didn't believe in Jesus as the Son of God, after the resurrection, James said, oh, he's the Lord of glory. Okay, something big happened. In fact, the apostles all call him God in one form or another. And like Thomas, he says, my Lord and my God. And those early Christians worshipped him. They prayed to him. We see that Jesus shares the same names and titles of God. Everything you see God, the Father, being called in the Old Testament, that's what they call Jesus in the New Testament. Titles like Lord, Savior, King, Judge, Light, Rock, Redeemer, Creator, Shepherd, Giver of Life, and all these other titles reserved for God are given to Jesus. But hold on, wait a minute. We've got to stop here and say, isn't God omniscient doesn't God know everything and yet didn't Jesus say he didn't know everything like at one point he said I don't know when I'm going to come back and isn't God omnipotent he's all powerful but Jesus was overpowered and nailed to the cross wasn't he and God is supposed to be omnipresent he's everywhere and yet Jesus wasn't everywhere he could only be in one place at one time so all these infinite things that make God God what do you do with this Jesus who is limited by time and space? How do you explain that? And I would say, well, you, you can't fully. But here's what I do know. That God came into this world and voluntarily humbled himself, born into a humble home, and limited himself so that he could be fully human. So that he really could become one of us. And that's explained in the passage of Philippians chapter 2 where the Apostle Paul, writing very early within that same generation, not made up centuries later, but in fact quoting what's probably a very early Christian song, says this, Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. So Jesus is co-equal with the Father, but he didn't hold on to that advantage when he became man. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. Here it is. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. So he reigns from heaven now. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So you see, he's still divine. But he, for a time, for a short time, he gave up his throne in heaven. And humbled himself so that he could fulfill his purpose to come and die for us to be our savior, our substitute, our sacrifice. So what does that mean for, for the world and for our lives today? It means that Jesus fits the profile, that he is Emmanuel, he is God with us. 
near us and in us. And only he can make that promise. Surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. The question is, are you with him? He's with you. Are you with him? Because Jesus had that dual personality. He understands personally through experience what you're going through. Because he had, he said, been there, done that. I get it. Jesus had challenges and worries and problems and family struggles and desertion and betrayal by friends and suffering. He knows. He can relate and so he can help. But because he's God, he can do for you what nobody else can do. He can give you wisdom and comfort and peace and strength and perseverance. Only he could do that for you. You need both his humanity and his divinity. But most of all, only he could save you. Only he was qualified to end the separation between you and God, to end the rift, to bridge the gap, to bring reconciliation between you and your Father in heaven. Only He could do that for you. Watch. Watch.